Welcome back everyone to the Guiding Light Podcast. Today you find me here at 9 a.m. sitting outside St. George's Harbor here in Grenada and I have some guests with me, Greg and Susan. You guys want to say hello? Hello. Hi everyone. Okay, there's the introduction for them and you'll get a little bit better. We've already got rum in them and um, so they're drinking away. Of course, you know what they say, Greg. You don't start drinking in the morning, you can't drink all day. That's what they say. <laughs> so, um, how have you guys liked your time aboard the Guiding Light? Oh, it's been great. Had a little bit of everything. Down in Trinidad, uh, completely different than up in Grenada. Uh, so we've got to sample a variety. We got to do a passage overnight. Um, so we're getting a variety of liveaboard sailing conditions. And I really enjoyed some of the things we did on Trinidad. We got off the boat and went on the island and did some tours. And now we're here in beautiful Grenada where we have a lot more sand and sun and calm seas to just lay out and get a nice tan. Bringing it up, what did you all think about Trinidad? I know it was different than I expected. And actually, before we get to that, I, I kind of wanted to talk about you alls what well, was supposed to be your first time aboard, your first day aboard. Unfortunately, your flight got canceled, but I've got uh, my friend Steve aboard, and <clears throat> we had talked to you all. You all kind of made plans to be on board for two weeks, what, like three weeks before you got here type of thing. Correct. And Steve, you've heard him on a former podcast, and I, and we told you guys we'll just meet you on the north coast of Trinidad in this tiny little fishing village at what I think y'all landed at 9:45 at night we were expecting to see you at 11 o'clock in the evening in this small fishing village you want to know how to find us and we're like we'll be the only white people in the town sound uh, a little sketchy that was it did sound pretty sketchy we did a little research um, on Trinidad and I was hoping the sleepy fishy fishing village would be pretty laid back and safe as opposed to the uh, much bigger city, uh, Port of Spain. I was pretty sure we weren't going to let the cab driver go anywhere until we found <laughs> Shane and Steve. Uh, we were going to keep a pretty pretty good hold of him until we knew for sure. Well, and I remember looking on Google Maps, and the I found the town, but the only building that came listed up was the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and I forget the name of it, was it St. George's Roman Catholic Church or St. Michael's? St. Catherine, possibly? St. Catherine, and it was some St. Roman Catholic Church, and you asked me, and I said, just meet me at the church. You're like, this, blah, 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 church, and I'm like, yep, that's the one, because you had looked also, and Steve and I, we got there that afternoon and got the boat all ready and went ashore, and this boat that prominently on on Google Maps that showed up we get there and it's just this little stone building no bigger than any of the other buildings and we're like oh I was expecting something bigger a little grander maybe a steeple and so anyways it was a tiny little place yeah I was kind of thankful that our flight we did miss it because I was worried about coming in that late at night to this little village to find these people that we didn't know and it actually worked out well. We caught a flight the next day and we got to go in the taxi during the day. The taxi driver was great telling us all about the city, pointing out things to us. So we got a much nicer view of Trinidad from Port of Spain down to Chagaramas Bay where we met them. 
So now we're back to Trinidad. Let's let's talk about Trinidad itself. What your expectations were, what you actually thought about it, because I know it was different than I expected, and that was my first time there. Also, I had gotten there the day before, um, came over from Tobago, and yeah, it was different. But I want to hear what you guys think. And the research that I had done indicated it would be mostly uh, industrial type island with less tourism than Tobago and some of the other uh, Caribbean islands. I still expected to see beaches <laughs> dotting the coastline here and there with bays that we would sail to. Um, while there was a few beaches, they were pretty sparse and uh, not very, uh, not large. They were small beaches, little sandy beaches with rocks and stuff like that. Trinidad was more of a tropical rainforest area and a lot of, a lot of factories and industry throughout the island. Very popular place to haul your boat out. Yeah. So we yeah. had a lot of cruisers there and actually they're using the old, I didn't know this at the time, but they're using the old naval base from World War II that was the largest U.S. naval base outside of the United States soil which I thought was interesting, and they've turned that into a bunch of boat yards. But even though we have a lot of cruisers there, what surprised me was there's really not that much cruising opportunity. I mean, the reality, folks, is the North Coast maybe has four anchorages. The fishing village that I was going to meet them at, you can get ashore. The rest of them are, you know, 100-foot cliffs. They're beautiful bays, but there's nowhere to go when you're there, and then you have to worry about the North Swell. Other than that, the only other place you can really go is the northwest corner, which is Chagaramas. And we saw everything there. You can spend your time in Chagaramas. You can go around the Bay to Scotland Bay. You can go over to that leper colony. That was it. You know, so the cruising opportunities weren't there. But as Jesse James, which got to love that taxi name, that's uh, if you're ever there, check out Jesse James's taxi and uh, tours. But he, what he, how did he phrase it? He said basically, you know, Trinidad doesn't have the sand, sun, or sea, but they have the ecotourism, the birds, the rainforests, the swamps. I mean, which doesn't sound that exciting, but I tell you, that swamp we were at was one of my favorite things we did. Yeah, it was really cool. One of the things that I noticed is when we were driving through the town, it reminded me that it could be a city in the United States. There were subways, there were Kentucky Fried Chickens, just a lot of things that I did not expect. And then the great thing about it was, as we were driving through different places, they had did have all these local food stands, which were really cool. In addition to the beautiful rainforest and the swamps, uh, I found it very interesting that we were anchored next to Venezuelan fishing boats. These are traditional fishing boats that Full of <laughs> full of fishermen that probably sure have not just fishing boats. Probably, yeah, <laughs> fishing slash smuggling boats. Probably have not cleared in to uh, Trinidad, but they're obviously being allowed to anchor in their anchorages. And that was kind of neat. I actually tried to negotiate some fish with uh, one of the Venezuelan boats. Didn't go very far, but uh, they didn't have what I was looking for, tuna. It was kind of interesting. Interesting to see that and see how they they lived off of these boats. Well, we did some, I mean, all of us knew Venezuela was, like, right there. I mean, at one point, I think it's, what, seven miles between the two countries. Knowing that versus seeing that, 
is hugely different. I remember when we went, when we were, Steve and I were sailing into the cut, and I'm like, all right, that's the first island, the second island, the third island, and that's Venezuela right there. And then we went onto that leper colony and climbed up, and I'm like, hey guys, that's South America right over there, and we could clearly see it. And it's like, that's a whole nother continent right there. Right, I mean, it just still blew me away. Yeah, I may never get to South America, so at least being able to look out and see it was pretty cool. Absolutely. So, okay, top three things y'all did on Trinidad. We got, we're going to talk about more of your time aboard, but since we're on Trinidad, because I, I really, really enjoyed the island, even though it's not a big cruising opportunity. I want to go back, and I'm thinking about just renting a car and driving around for a week, and just that way we're not having to drive two hours to get somewhere two hours back because of where Chagaramas is. But everything is shore based or land based, if you will. So, Susan? I think my three top favorites were the taste of Trinidad, the swamp that we've been talking about. And I'm not really into much about history, but there was a military museum there that was very, very interesting. I learned a lot, and it was just a lot of things that I had no idea Trinidad was involved in, and I got to learn all about that. Okay. Those were all very good choices. Not necessarily my top three, but those were very good choices. I think uh, among my favorites were uh, actually when we were walking around Port of Spain, between a few different sites that they were to see, the zoo, the uh, gardens, and just kind of a downtown area, and working our way back to the bus station, and just seeing how people of Trinidad live, and what the street life there is like. Um, that was one of my favorite things. A couple of our tours that I really liked, we did a Taste of Trinidad tour with Jesse James, sampled a lot of food, way too much food actually. That was very interesting. Uh, he gave us a ton of knowledge about the area and about Trinidad. Tons and tons of knowledge. He's a very good... Oh, I thought you were uh, going to say tons and tons of food. Tons and tons of food too. also. Very good trip. It was a long all-day trip. That was good. And also the day I was trying to uh, source some fresh fish. Ended up probably talking to five or seven different people trying to get, uh, get to the source of these signs that were advertising fresh tuna for, boy, really cheap prices. It was 30 TT, I think, a pound for fresh tuna. Never I, did find that. I um, think that's about like five U.S. dollars yeah, per pound crazy, of tuna. Crazy I mean, Which cheap. is insanely cheap. Ended up finding mahi-mahi, fresh frozen for 50 TT, which still a pretty good price. That was, that was kind of fun for me to try to negotiate with these and talk with these... Uh, different people. Yeah, and the people on the fishing boats were speaking Spanish, so we were using our Google to translate a few words so he could communicate. I tell you, that Google Translate has really helped me out around the world, so that's a good one. Each of y'all came up with some great places, great things we did. All these places I am writing about on the blog, so if you want to know specifically about them, check out the blog. But a couple, and I'm not going to say these are necessarily my favorites because y'all both listed some good stuff that I really enjoyed. But some other ones, we have the Leopard Colony, which was a separate island. And I was all looking forward to seeing that, and it really lived up to what I was expecting. Just these abandoned houses from 40, 50 years ago. I forget exactly how long ago. And some of them are still standing, and you're walking through, and the nunnery, and I mean, just all that was fascinating to me and then the last thing we did was 
we took a hike to this little not little i mean it was a big cave and it had a lake inside of it and and had uh, sinkholes where the roof had collapsed so you had light in there and and we're not supposed to talk about it in public but we got to have an extra special experience and we'll just leave it at that and and that may be one of my favorites i mean that was just a lot of fun with that cave another thing we did was we took a walk up a huge hill to the lighthouse and the lighthouse was spectacular you could go all the way to the top of the lighthouse and look out once again we could see venezuela it was kind of rainy when we were there so we couldn't see quite as far as that we would have liked but it was quite a trek so just make sure that you bring a little water along with you but it is well worth it and that was on the leper colony which i believe is pronounced Sharkakara? Sharkakara? Something like that. It looks like it would be shark, uh, Sharkashakara, but it, they say it's something else like Sharkashakara or something like that. I, you know, it's, it's got some Native American aspect to the name type of thing. But So what did we do after that? After we did the cave, we checked out, and what did we do, guys? Oh, we took a nice little sail. <laughs> we took a nice did. little sail. We were supposed to sail from Trinidad all the way to Puerto Rico, which was going to be 500 miles, about four days, and unfortunately, Hurricane Burrell kind of got in the way of it, so we simply did the sail to Grenada to get more weather, wait out the storm, see what was going to happen, which was a great idea, and it just worked out perfect, but we had 15 to 20 knots, gust to 25, squaws, we went overnight, you guys, first time excelling, and y'all were excited about it. What did y'all think about that? <laughs> we survived. That's, that's, that's kind of my thoughts at this point. It was uh, far rougher in 25 knots of wind, or 20 knots of wind, actually, than I ever uh, imagined it would be. Uh, I guess our point of sail was kind of close hauled most of the way. At the very least, a close reach, if close not a close reach, haul. Close reach to close hauled. I had no idea that would be that rough at 20 knots. I didn't think 20 knots of wind was that much, or would be that rough. Uh, it it was, and it was at nighttime. So it was it, nighttime. It yeah, seems like it's rougher at night. It's not really, but you just can't see the next wave coming, so it seems like it's rougher. It 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 seemed pretty bad at the moment, but by the next day, uh, when we were pulling into Grenada, and the water smoothed out, the closer we got. It just started to look beautiful again, and it seemed like the rough water was kind of in the distant past. And I think it's easily forgotten once you get into the calmer, smoother sailing waters. Then you easily forget the rougher. Well, the two passage. terms that I remember y'all saying that night, Greg, you said, "This is eye-opening." <laughs> I think that was you know early, early morning that you said that, and that was quite telling. It was an eye-opening experience. There's no doubt about that. And then Bridget, which is your 14-year-old daughter, her answer was, and this wasn't even very late into the sail, and you know, at night, but she's like, I never knew the sea could be this rough. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is really nothing. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was still 15 to 20, but, you know, it, it, it's all about the point of sail, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And before we had left, uh, Shane had talked about possibly trying to follow the remainder of the hurricane up towards Puerto Rico and mentioned we could see 30, 35 knots possibly of wind 
and I didn't think, I, th- I thought that might be rough, but uh, <laughs> I thought that might be kind of rough, 35 knots. I wasn't too worried about it at the time, but I'm pretty glad we didn't follow the hurricane up to Porter, try to attempt to follow the hurricane or close behind. No, that would have, as one guy said, oh, you can do it, it'll be safe. It wasn't a matter of being safe. Yeah. It was a matter of being comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, we can do whatever, but I don't feel like riding a bucking bronco for three days to Puerto Rico. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm pretty sure it would have been hard on us new sailors, too. Yeah, but, it was very interesting. Shane gave us the all the safety information before we took off. And I had the first shift. We started at 6 o'clock in the evening. Now, I also, if we remember, I kind of, I try not to hold anything back and say, this is what it's going to be like out he there. He did. He gave us the honest truth about it, but it was hard for us to imagine because we had never experienced it. So hearing what he was said and seeing and feeling <laughs> were two different things. It was So I'm glad he gave that information to us. I found it interesting once we got out there that I couldn't hardly stand up anywhere up here in the cockpit. I, I just had a hard time. And one of the key things was each person was trying to tell us what helped them from getting seasick. My husband had a certain thing he did. Shane suggested some things. What ended up working for my daughter and I, and I is we just went down to her cabin, laid there, closed my eyes, and everything was okay. As soon as I opened my eyes, that was not good. Once I got up to be on my shift and I looked out, I was fine, but it was quite interesting that each person had a little different way. And we had taken our bonine ahead of time, so we were a little prepared. If we had not taken that, it could have been pretty bad. And with that sale, we only had one, how should we say it delicately, offering to the sea, if you will. (laughs) And we won't say who did that one, we'll just leave that to be a mystery. So two questions for you about the the crossing, and it was only 75 miles, and we did it in 14 hours, so it wasn't that long, but it gave you a good taste. What did you think of standing watch, and y'all, the schedule we had was everybody had three hours, and you were on with someone in front of you, and then you had an hour by yourself, and then you were on with an hour with someone coming on after you. What did y'all think about being on watch? What did y'all think about that particular type of schedule? I personally think it worked really well. Uh, So a three-hour watch was divided into three segments. Uh, You had somebody the first half with you, or the first hour, uh, middle hour by yourself, a third hour with another person again. So it really split it up. It went fast. And there wasn't much to do. I didn't like laying down so much. Uh, I I didn't mind being on watch, with the exception of getting very tired and then... If you're tired enough, I think you can sleep under any conditions. Yeah. So I was going to say, you, when you weren't on watch, you were okay laying down on the yeah, couch yeah. there. Yeah, was, it was 2 in the morning, and you know my watch, I think, started at 11, right. 11 to uh, 2. So I tried to get a little sleep before that, and then I got sleep after that. But that's because I was extremely tired. So I, I, I think being up and in the violent seas is kind of draining. It, it, you get tired out actually could sleep. I would never have thought I could have slept in, in those conditions. But When Susan didn't experience this, but Greg, you did, where you and I had an issue come up. And it always seems to come up when you're bouncing around and at night, but we were having trouble with the autopilot. It kept 
auto-releasing is the term that the autopilot had written across it and turned out to be was just a loose wire from all the pounding and I went down and fixed that but you got to see a little bit of experience of some of the things that can go wrong and what you can do to fix it and how having more than one person on board really helps <laughs> yeah uh, that would uh, to lose your autopilot I've read in other blogs and stuff I've read about uh, is kind of a issue you have to pay very very close attention to keep a sailboat on course in any kind of weather anyway it would have been difficult to hand steer even for three hours at a time it would have uh, been very draining Shane after uh, after we sailed for a while and then I took over at the helm gave him an opportunity to go look for the source of the problem and he found a loose wire uh, in the autopilot circuit board. Got it fixed. Worked great after that. That was a relief. Yeah, the other odd thing that was happening at the same time, and I don't know if it was related, I've never seen it on my boat before, but we are in, I mean, the charts are saying a couple thousand feet of water or something, and all of a sudden, for about half an hour, my depth sounder would go off at 30 feet, 25, 45, and then it would go back to D, you know, where it doesn't say anything, and then come back, and and I'm like, what the heck is going on? Either something's wrong, or we have a submarine or a whale following us underneath, and we're bouncing off them. I have, and I still have no idea what that one was, but it was weird. And I kept checking the charts, going, no, there's nothing out here. We can't be hitting anything or anything like that. But another question about the blue water, and with the schedule that we had. Unfortunately, we only did 12 hours, so you didn't get to see the rest of it where you're on for three hours and then you got, what, nine hours off, and that would be your time in the a.m. and then in the p.m. to get rest, do personal stuff, you know, that type of thing. So you didn't get to experience that. But what would you do differently now that you've got even 14 hours of blue water under you? What would you do different when, if you go blue water sailing again? It's pretty disorienting trying to find anything you don't really want to turn on a lot of lights because it ruins your night vision then when you turn the lights off you can't see anything so you try to do most of the stuff with minimal light once it was dark and we're in the rough water it was hard to find anything or do anything I would have a little kit or basket made up of everything I would want during my watch from flashlight to uh, I like dry crunchy snacks to help me with <laughs> prevent seasickness. I want a little snack to munch on, uh, keep something in my stomach that makes my stomach feel better. Now um, you were feeling a little somewhat queasy uh, and you yeah. wanted that dry snack so what did you end up grabbing? I grabbed the first thing I could find which was some super hot Chex Mix <laughs> and uh, it was a little hotter and spicier than I wanted but it was dry, it was crunchy and it Fixed the, fix the problem. And spicy is <laughs> not necessarily the best choice for seasickness. Probably, but that's what you had. It worked for me, and uh, but it was it was yeah. It wasn't the. I would recommend something a little more bland, <laughs> even like saltine <laughs> crackers. But that's not what I ended up with. I just took what I found and used it. Yeah, have everything organized prior to darkness, I guess, so you can find what you want without having to turn on all the lights. Yeah, it was eye-opening thinking about eating a meal in that I couldn't hardly stand up when I was holding on to things let alone eat anything and when I was down in the cabin with my daughter we heard this 
alarm go off and I thought what in the heck is that for and ended up Shane was actually making homemade bread as we were out there and the sea. I couldn't even imagine how in the world he did that. But it was great that he did because in the morning then we had nice bread and that helped with the seasickness. Well, I promise. I had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You know, doing that, I definitely afterwards had to go up there for a little bit. You know, because, <laughs> you know, being stuck down below where it's hot and you can't see, it does kind of affect you a little bit. But... Now on my watch, I was supposed to come up after an hour with Bridget and she asked me to be up there with her. So I was up there with her for two hours and then Steve came on for my third hour. Shane was on the couch here and said if we need anything, let him know. So I think I woke him up two or three times, which was fine with him. Absolutely. And one of the things that happened on my shift is it was raining cats and dogs. It was raining so hard and what I had done as Shane had told us to check the entire horizon like every 10 minutes. Well, I didn't have a watch up there. I didn't have a watch on. So I was going every two tenths of a mile and I would check everything. So I was diligent on that and checked all the time. And all of a sudden it quit raining and I did my check of the horizon and I saw all of these lights ahead and to the right that I had not been able to see and I had checked relatively recently. And so that was one of the times I woke him up because I wasn't sure what it was. We weren't close to it, but we were heading in that direction. But I was being diligent. I was checking everything I should have, but because it was raining so hard, I couldn't hardly see anything. And it turned out to be, what, a freighter, yes. we think maybe five miles off, and it was going away from us. But that actually brings up something that I want to talk to you about, Greg. We had, you and I were on watch together after we fixed the autopilot. And we had a moment, and even I, uh, you know, was confused at first. No, I get, yeah, confused. We'll use that word. You want to go into that one, or you want me to? It was quite interesting. We're tracking lights. You, you uh, on your scans of the horizon or around the boat, you you look for different lights, and then you kind of track progress of those lights, trying to determine if they're moving towards you or away from you. And when I, on my watch, when I came on watch, that was uh, to relieve Shane, but we shared the first hour of my watch. So we were tracking these lights. There was one in front of us, I think, two to our port, and at one point or another there was one on our stern also. But the, the light in front of us uh, was a, a white light, which I thought possibly could be a stern light. It got As we got closer, it seemed like a very bright light. I was expecting it to be... I thought maybe it was a freighter in the distance. We both did. Yeah. We were, we were discussing it. It looked like it was in the dis distance quite a ways. Eventually, I saw a green stern light, uh, a starboard light, nav light in the front of the boat. And it still looked like it. We th we, I was thinking it was a huge freighter until all of a sudden I could see the sideways motion of the boat pitching up and down. And I could tell they were on the same kind of motion that we were on. And... That's when I realized it was actually a sailboat, pretty close, like uh, 100, 200, 300 yards away, surprisingly close, and because we had been watching it very closely, and it was still very difficult to uh, uh, determine their size, their location, and we actually were running a parallel course that could have actually almost been a collision course if nobody was paying attention. Well, we were overtaking them. Yeah, we were, we were we were actually passing them because we had 
been sailing up on them over the last 20, 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah. And even me, with my experience, I mean, it literally, it seemed like it was a click of a finger went from, oh, that's a freighter way out there, to all of a sudden, we're like, no, that's a 50-foot monohull that yeah. is just, I think it was a little further than 300 yards, okay. but, you know, not very far away, you know, and it was like, okay, yeah, let's, uh, Let's change our heading just a little bit, you know, because we had to give way because we were the overtaking vessel. Nearly a parallel course. By um, that time. Yeah. So that was, it was very interesting how your perspective changes at night and how quickly you can go from it's way far away, really big, to it's really close and not as big. Yeah. So. One thing I did want to mention about Trinidad is because it's not such a touristy area, the prices were very reasonable. Bag of ice was a buck fifty U.S. Came to Grenada and it was over three bucks, yeah. three four bucks. So big difference, and so that made it really nice. The food vendors along the way were exceptionally nice. We tried some of the things that we tried that we needed to were the roadie. And that was one of the things that Trinidad is famous for. And the doubles that you have for breakfast. So we really enjoyed those. But I liked the street vendors. They were all great. And just very, very interesting island. Okay, so my next two subjects I want to talk to you about is, first off, let's give everybody a little bit, a uh, taste of your experience and what y'all want in the future, what y'all have done on boats, that type of thing, in a short little synopsis. This is the third time we chartered. The first time was a fully catered type cabin charter in the BVI. We really liked that. It was really, really nice. Of course, that's strictly vacation type destination thing. With a captain um, and a cook. Yeah, it, it's not any type of practical liveaboard experience. Very nice. We, we really enjoyed that. Uh, our second, second charter experience was a relative of a relative sort of thing people that knew the captain and we were on board with his family members and it was a kind of a sort of a captain only charter uh, where we helped with the cooking and, and dishes and the whole works sailing the boat the whole works very interesting very informative we love that too and that's kind of what we that was for a week last uh, summer in the BVI's and then this summer we we did something similar to that with Shane only it was two weeks long and we actually had some uh, passage experience so you guys came for what I call my cruising experience charter where you're here for minimum of two weeks and living on the boat I mean yeah. we don't really have a set schedule we figure out what we want to do you are in charge of cooking some of the meals everybody cleans the dishes we y'all have to help sail all that I mean you're getting the this is what it's like to live on a boat type of experience learned a lot with uh, anchoring uh, mooring balls the whole works which uh, and navigation and steering the whole works we, we've uh, helped with pretty much all of it it's informative I wanted to learn more hoping to someday spend more time on a sailboat we're still trying to figure out exactly how we're gonna do that whether it's gonna be as a uh, uh, owner or a charterer or what but uh, that's kind of the direction we're working is to spend a few months in the winter on okay. a sailboat. And to give you an idea of where we come from we live in Iowa on the east central side basically directly across from Chicago over the Mississippi River so there's not a lot of sailing experience there but we do live on a working farm and yeah, yeah. we would like 
to enjoy more of the sun and sand. So you're going from about as much land as you possibly could have in America to a teeny tiny sailboat. <laughs> right, and it would be very interesting on how to downsize to put the things that we think we need on a sailboat this size when we have a nice big farmhouse. And I grew up with, I was you know, I didn't grow up on a farm, but my different family members are farmers. My dad grew up on a farm, and I know how much farmers like to accumulate stuff because you never <laughs> know what you're going to need. So it does take some experience, or not experience, but it takes something to get everything down. And even I, I got everything down to like a carload of stuff, and I still cut it in half after a year on board. I had way too many clothes. But So the question I have for you guys now that you're at the end of your third time on a boat, the difference between one week on a boat versus two weeks on a boat, and the difference between cruising and chartering. Uh, I think chartering is uh, is pretty short term, usually uh, you know usually a week at a time, and that's that's strictly the vacation experience. You know you're trying to cram as much fun as possible into seven days probably as little work as possible also with uh, people taking care of you. The cruising experience is more uh, just land-based stuff. You're, you've got more time. You're not trying to just pack seven days, everything into seven days. Uh, we've had some lazy times on the sailboat where we're just relaxing, which is fantastic. I, I've enjoyed that. We've had plenty of time to do everything we want for the most part. I think that's the difference. Uh, you're just uh, taking it one day at a time and trying to relax also in addition to uh, getting your snorkeling days in and swimming and uh, beaches. You don't have to have every day planned out to maximum efficiency. Yeah, I think going from one week to two weeks was quite, quite a bit of difference. As Greg said, in that first week you only have seven days and you are trying to do as many things as you can and then you're done. You barely get started and then all of a sudden you have to get off the boat. Well, with the two weeks, we weren't as hectic at the beginning. We did a lot of things, but we weren't as hectic. And then it extended, and I'm thinking, oh, I have seven more days. This is great. And I can just kind of relax, and our last four days or whatever it's been in Grenada have been more of that vacation in the sun and sand versus touring Trinidad, but they've both been really good. And how long not just this time but we'll go with this time and the other two times how long did it take you guys before you were acclimated you felt comfortable on the boat you know from anything from sleeping on the boat to moving around on the boat to just acclimated to my schedule and and that you know all that type of stuff i i would say it was a few days it was probably three days to get acclimated and three days on a seven-day charter is uh halfway done is you know it's almost over before uh you're you're into the groove into the comfort zone yeah i definitely have enjoyed the two weeks and like i said i hope in the future to make it more up to a couple of months or more i just love being on the boat i love the fact that oh no we're done here let's go to the next island let's go here let's do whatever you know you have the beach house but you can move it to the next beach a beach house in any of these islands would be fantastic but it would be for me almost impossible to decide which island to put that beach house or to li to buy that beach house uh, my thoughts are on a liveaboard sailboat 
you can every season you can choose a new area for your beach house and I've actually come up with a decision why you guys have been aboard under that exact topic where next season I'm already committed which I'm fine with you know but I'm gonna go back to the Virgin Islands where I've done the last seven eight years I think it's seven years and so I'll do my eighth year in the BVI and just like the last two years I'm gonna leave towards the end of April and come back down island but I've just had so much fun with my time with Steve and then my time with you guys down here that I've decided I think in uh, late 19 and all of 2000 we'll call it the 2020 season I'm not going back up to the Virgin Islands I'm gonna spend that whole year down island between I guess in Guila all the way to Trinidad just going up and down running charters cruising experience that type of thing but I'm kind of looking forward to that and just spending more time down here where I don't know as well and and there's just some fantastic islands down here yeah I'm a little geographically challenged so when this one came up I had to get out the map and figure out where we were going to be and it's a lot farther south than the BVI and um, US Virgin Islands and one of the things that is interesting to me is that there's even this bottom part the islands may look really close on a map but they're not necessarily close so you get a little cruising experience getting down to each one of them and I, one of the things that I did not know is one of the reasons that people come to Trinidad and Grenada is it seems to be a little more safe from the hurricanes and I had no idea about that so that was really interesting and we experienced why it's so mm -hmm. popular is we could not get back to Puerto Rico where I have hauled the boat out for the last five six years and um, and I think someone told me that Trinidad has never been hit Tobago which you wouldn't leave your boat at Tobago but I think they've been hit two or three times in the last hundred years and I think Grenada what four times in the last 50 years someone said and I think the last one was 2004 with Ivan I believe yeah, he said or something like mm -hmm. that and um, yeah so they definitely are a lot safer down here in fact, I'm actually going to leave my main on and I'm going to use the lines and tie it up first in Puerto Rico. You strip everything off, including the main. You just can't tie it down really tight, but I feel like I can here. And, that and I guess me. I didn't realize how dangerous it was for the hurricanes until last year when two or three hit the U.S. Virgin Islands, BVI, Puerto Rico. All of those got hit and those were all the places that we had been to. Yep. Now, granted, one of those was the second largest in history, so it um, you know it was exceptionally bad. But to have two Cat Fives hit within two weeks is insane. So we talked about your dreams. You want to spend time on a boat, whether it's four months at a time or eventually. And you're trying to figure out is that does it make sense to own your own boat if you're only going to be on it a total of four months? And you're not even talking four months in a row. You're talking. It could be a multitude of things. Could be a month and then two months off, a month and two months off, and and that's where you're humming and hawing, right? Is the fact that you just don't know if that makes sense to own a boat for that amount of time a year. Yeah, yeah, it it's expensive. You you pay a pretty good price to keep your boat in storage, basically, and uh, the less you use it, the more that costs. So th that's that's where we're at. We're trying to figure out how to own a boat and not have to or, or spend I guess you would say spend time on a boat and not have to uh, uh, maintain that boat for 
eight months a year that we're not on it. And we have about three years at least to determine that because our daughter will be a sophomore in high school and we don't want to make this step until she has graduated. So we have a little time to think about it. And you all have looked into the, what do they call it, the bare boat ownership program or whatever, yeah. through the moorings or any other program. Yeah. But there's caveats and pitfalls to that too. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about buying a $600,000 or more boat and brand new bow, 600,000, and just turning it over to somebody to manage it and rent it out for you. And well, here in Grenada, you've seen some of the bear boaters. You would have an issue with them running your half a million dollar boat. We, we've <laughs> seen some strange things already. Uh, we were we were anchored in a bay, and no, we, were uh, moored. Uh, we were moored in a bay actually that you're not actually even supposed to anchor at, and uh, there was three other boats all anchored now where was the mooring uh the moorings the moorings you had to you had to swim down 20 feet or uh 10 to 20 feet to grab a mooring line bring the mooring line to the surface and and so, you know attach to your boat the only uh, reason i knew this is because i was in that bay three four weeks before and i found where the mooring uh, blocks were and two of them still had lines attached to them so I knew that they were down there you, you could barely see them we just found a square we saw a square in, in the sand or in the and there's actually a coral bottom a lot of coral and we actually saw a perfect square that we knew was a mooring and uh, Steve one of the guys with us actually swam down grabbed the line brought it to the surface and attached to our bridle and none of the other uh, bareboat charterers did that. Uh, they, they just we even tried telling one of them. We tried telling them. They swam around, looked for it, couldn't find it. Uh, and they had a series of other issues uh, <laughs> with this, you know, the boat's over a half a million dollar boat. And I actually watched them. They had a problem with their anchor. They actually ended up somehow dropping the anchor over the lifelines in the front of the boat. It was hard to believe, especially knowing what that boat cost. We're glad that wasn't our boat. <laughs> it was quite bizarre. They just let the chain roll over the lifeline cable. So after experiencing that, that really makes you wonder, is that really what I would want to do with a brand new boat that i am just purchased? Those, those situations can work out for some people, I guess, and you know, you're just taking a leap of faith hoping you get a decent boat at the end of the contract. <laughs> so there's a uh, you know that's that's not a, far from an ideal situation yeah so okay we're running out of time do you all have anything else y'all want to talk about discuss or anything I just wanted to talk a little bit about what we've done here on Grenada it's very easy to get around here they have buses that are numbered and we were worried about how we were gonna find the bus and catch the bus but each of the bus drivers has a conductor that hangs out the window and looks for people to put on the bus so as long as you're up close enough to the road they will point at you and ask you if you need a bus if you do great they'll up, stop and put you on it up close being it seems like a quarter mile off and they'll ask you if you right. want to ride you, you yeah. can't walk for five minutes without somebody there's no way you could walk anywhere I think on this island 
without somebody asking you if you want to ride on a bus. And it's cheap to ride on the bus. It was pretty nice. And they can put 19 people on a little van. So it's not a big bus, it's a little van. But the other thing I wanted to mention is Greg and I went diving yesterday with Dive Grenada. Phil and Helen own the business and it is a first-rate business. They took us to two places, Purple Rain and Kihoni, I believe it was what it was called. And the colors and the things we saw, the dive masters helped find things. I swam next to a turtle. We saw a ray. We saw an eel. Greg saw a lobster. We just saw so many things and the colors were just brilliant. It was the prettiest place that we have to, done diving. Yeah, most beautiful coral we've seen anywhere. Yeah, I want to go back to this bus thing. <laughs> Because um, I know the last time I was in Grenada and I was getting ready for a charter, this was like four weeks ago, Steve was with me and he's helping and we just hit two grocery stores and I think we had like four reusable shopping bags each and, and I'm, you know, thinking, and I'm used to St. Thomas where you get your seat and that's it, you know, I mean, you can put whatever you can put between your legs, that's what you can fit on the bus. And so I'm like, well, we'll get a taxi back, you know, it won't be that much type of thing. And the conductor's like, no, no, don't worry about it. Get in. We're like, well, we got all these groceries, you know. I mean, we take up the whole front seat. He's like, that's okay. And he shoved us in. And same price, man. Whatever it was, three EC or whatever the price was. But he was just, just get on the bus and give me my money. He yep. didn't care how much we had with us. And the buses are very safe. Yesterday we had a little girl that came up to the bus driver at the bus station and just asked him if she was gonna be on the right bus and he said yes so she sat next to me and she was only eight or nine and she was on the bus by herself and there were a lot of um, kids on the bus by themselves when we were traveling so it was very safe actually a lot of um, school kids in yes. these islands they use the bus to get to and from school so sometimes you can't get on the bus because they're full of kids yeah it was a good experience they work hard and operate pretty cheap um, and it makes you feel like they're earning their money. And we also bought some um, items, some wax apples and some tamarinds when we were downtown and the boy didn't have enough change and so one of the taxi drivers or the bus drivers gave him some change and the bus driver thanked us for supporting the kids so that was really nice. Cool. Yeah. What do y'all think of those wax apples? Our daughter, our daughter loves them. They smell fantastic. They don't taste like a whole lot, I don't think, but my, our daughter loves them, so we bought her a bag. Yeah, I had never seen those till I got down. I think I saw them with St. Lucia for the first time, but they are delicious. Yeah, we like the tamarinds, too. I get no taste out of them. They smell like flowers, which is nice, but they, I get no taste out of them. They taste like absolutely nothing. See, to me, and the, there's a different variety here than what we had in St. Lucia's. To me, the St. Lucia ones and the ones we had through the grenadines they were a different shape they didn't have the pit inside and they actually mm. did have a little more flavor to them I, I like them a little better than these tamarinds on the other hand you can't have more than about one of those at a time can you your whole mouth just goes and you're all suckered up and because they are sour I, 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 they're delicious I, I, but they're sour and they have a big seed and not a lot of flesh in them so you just got to be yeah, patient yeah yeah, it was it was fun to find them. Uh, we've had them other places, uh, and it was it's nice to see what you know. They sell all this stuff on the street, pretty obscure stuff by our standards, anyway. And uh, you don't even see a lot of them in the store, but uh, 
a lot of street vendors selling different treats stuff like that fruits vegetables my favorite thing in Trinidad was something called Tulum t-o-o-l-u-m if you like chocolate and you like coconut mixed together they are fantastic they come in little balls and they were delicious I'll give you your chocolate fix <laughs> well cool well I think we're kind of out of time anything else from you guys great time on onboard guiding light shane's been a great host and a great travel guide i think that's really his passion is in, in addition to sailing he loves being a travel guide um he's been great at it finds all kinds of things to do it's been a lot of fun you are correct i do love traveling and i love showing people even if i hadn't been somewhere i try to research and find the things to go see and i just i love doing that which is why the whole website and this podcast is cruising slash traveling and not just cruising because i just i love the travel side of it it just mm-hmm. it gets in your skin and your blood and you just you can't get enough and uh it's the the guiding light is basically a captain only charter it means the guests do all the cooking and dishes then um, now, you know, I may have to interrupt you there. I want to make a clarification. So, I am a captain only charter, but if you do just the one week regular charter where you okay. charter out the boat, I cook three dinners and okay. usually I'm doing a lot of the dishes. Guests do help as much as they want or as little as they want with sailing and type of thing. Okay. And, and he I, makes the bread. And then I make the homemade bread. And um, I was going to add, that's he also likes to cook and is very good. Uh, makes some great dishes um, and clearly enjoys cooking in addition to that so I he do. does do a lot of that yeah but and then where you are this is the two-week minimum the cruising experience charter and that's where because you were here to learn what living on a boat mm-hmm. is is about so just sitting on the trampoline while someone does everything mm-hmm. doesn't give you that experience exactly. right so that's where this one mm-hmm. so depends which charter okay. people go with depends on how much they help out and don't okay. help out but okay so you were you were and i appreciate everything you're saying i yeah. just want to make sure everybody yep. out there knew the two different differences that i had okay so with that said susan's gonna say goodbye bye everyone it was has been a great time and glad we could give you some input on our experience greg's gonna say goodbye so long folks <laughs> and their daughter just came up nope she didn't <laughs> so she's not gonna say goodbye but I'm going to say goodbye. This is Shane McClellan, Captain of the Guiding Light. You can check out the website at www.svguidinglight.com. And until I talk again, and whether you watch a travel video or read a blog or one of these podcasts, may you have fair winds and following seas.